0: Now, Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zuber Radio with guest host Jane Brown. I'm really excited about today's show.
1: We have three great topics ready to go with three interesting guests to discuss them and take your calls. Depending on where your interest lies, you can take part in strategic calling today. The numbers are 416 416- Three six zero zero seven forty or one 740 At 12.40, retired Colonel and former Veterans Ombudsman Pat Stogren will join me to talk about his personal experience while working in the Government of Canada. A rude awakening, he calls it. Before that, at 12.20, David Gutman of Bladder Cancer Canada will join us to talk about Bladder Cancer Awareness Month, which begins on Sunday, May 1st. Bladder cancer is the fifth most common cancer in Canada and yet it's 20th on the list for research funding. It's also the disease that took my mother, uh, four years ago. Four years ago on May 1st, actually. So the efforts being made at Bladder Cancer Canada mean a great deal to me personally. Again, the numbers to call, write them down of bladder cancer or Veterans Ombudsman Pat Stogren, if you'd like to talk to him as well. 416-360-0740, 1866 And coming up right now, it's a case that's making international headlines. An Alberta couple has been found guilty of failing to provide the necessaries of life for their 19-month-old son who died of meningitis in 2012. You've just heard the story in Bob Komsk's news. David and Colette Steffen testified that they thought their son had croup or the flu, so they treated him for two and a half weeks with natural remedies. The child eventually stopped breathing and died after being rushed to hospital. The Crown Prosecutor, Lisa Vike said outside court, the couple definitely loved their son, but sometimes love isn't enough.
2: Well, there have been cases in the past... And we hope that there won't be any in the future. But what we hope that the public and the community takes away from this particular trial and the verdict in this trial is that all parents are held to a minimum standard of care that all children should expect at all times.
1: But on the other side of the argument, the brother-in-law of the Stephens says the parents went above and beyond for their child.
2: Most parents, when their ch- child has a flu or a cold, they'll either give them symptom reductions like, you know, NyQuil or whatever. But these parents gave them vitamins and minerals and healthy supplements to help them. I think that's far and beyond what any parent could be expected. Because keep in mind, it was simply symptoms of a cold and flu.
1: It's a tough story all the way around. Emergency room doctor Brett Belchets joins us to talk about the story. Doctor, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Did this couple fail to provide the necessaries of life, in your opinion?
2: Uh, you know, in my opinion, I, I, I do believe that they fail to provide a basic standard of care to their child. And, you know, these are very tough cases, and we do see them from time to time in uh, the medical community. And there are cases where parents fail to take proper care of their children, not because they don't love their children, not because they're trying to harm their children, but just because they do not have the same set of beliefs as most of society in terms of what would comp- what would actually make up consist of proper medical care and so when we look at this story um, there's a few things so first of all Ignorance of the severity of illness is, is is somewhat of a defense, but not a complete defense. There are many cases out there where parents have been somewhat ignorant about how sick their child were and was and they did not seek medical care. And in some cases, that was considered an okay defense, but a lot of the time being ignorant is not considered adequate. It, it is generally a duty of a parent, if a child is sick, to not make their own decisions about how severely ill the child is and to seek medical investigations and medical assessment from professionals to decide how sick a child is. That's number one. Uh, number two um, when we look at this case um, one of the assertions and you heard that in the interview was that they did not know how sick the child was that they thought it was a flu or a croup however uh, during this case it came to light that a friend of the family who was a nurse specifically told the family that she was worried that this child was suffering from meningitis and the family still did not seek medical care at a hospital or from a uh, from a scientific physician, Instead, what they did is continued with natural remedies, and then the next day took the child to a naturopathic doctor. Now, the other thing as well, is they also asserted that the symptoms were very classic just for a cold or flu, but what came to light is that when they took the child to this naturopathic physician, the child was so stiff that the child couldn't even sit up in, a, in the seat in the car. The child had to be laid down flat in the back of the automobile, and there is no... There's nobody out there that I think would believe that from a simple cold or flu that that a child should be that stiff and unable to sit upright. So there's a number of things here that say the family was quite aware that this was not a typical cold or flu. The family had specifically been warned that this was possibly meningitis, and the family chose not to seek medical assistance to investigate and properly treat this child. And the remedies that they were using were things like hot peppers, garlic, onions, which you know, whatever you believe. There is no scientific proof anywhere out there to ever say that those would be a treatment for any child that we had been warned might have meningitis and I do believe that the parents in this case failed their child
1: we want you, our Zoomer Radio listeners, to weigh in on this topic as well. If you have a comment or if you'd like to ask a question of the doctor, uh, because it is a tragic story. 416 360 740 1866 740 4740 Would the naturopath who saw the child, little 19-month-old Ezekiel, would that individual not have been somewhat responsible for neglecting to encourage or at least calling 911 to get this child to to have medical attention?
2: Yeah, you know, I I would have to say that as a consideration here as well. You know, uh, naturopathic doctors are specifically advised by their college not to attempt to treat specific kinds of conditions and specific types of presentations of patients, and they are told by their college when a patient comes in with illnesses that look like things that are outside of their domain to make sure that urgently uh, traditional medical practitioners are called in to give attention to the patient, and so, given that the naturopathic physician would have seen this child that was so stiff that they were unable to sit up and looking quite ill, this would seem to have been a natural circumstance where they would have, for instance, called nine one one or somehow recommended to the parents that you know treatment in a hospital was more appropriate. So, I think there is a great deal of responsibility borne by the naturopathic physician who saw this child in this state and. And thought that it was okay to continue treating with natural remedies, which even if you look at quotes from the College of Naturopathic Medicine, they talk about a lot of their their treatments as being things that they believe are intended to keep people healthy or preventive treatments, not so much treatments for acute illnesses like this. So even the College of Naturopathic Medicine would not state that they believe that they can treat an acute case of meningitis.
1: And what about naturopathic treatments? I mean, what you just said makes a lot of sense that you're using you're using them as preventatives, but are when are they a good idea?
2: Well, you know, I, that, that's a long debate for another day. You know, the truth of the matter is that there's a broad variety of naturopathic treatments. Some of them have been validated by clinical studies that have shown that they're effective. Many of them have not. You know, some of them are, are, are the same things that form the basis for some of the pharmaceutical treatments that we use in clinical medicine, uh, used in Western medicine. Um, but, you know, to, to lump all naturopathic treatments together, together into one bucket is a tough thing to do. I would say that, uh, you know... I I really say it's buyer beware because I think a lot of the treatments in naturopathic medicine have not been validated by any type of science and in fact many of the treatments when they have been subjected to the same types of rigorous study that Western medications have been uh, submitted to um, what we find is that they just don't work at all and so I think that you know, as a, as a practitioner of Western medicine, I would say that, you know, you really do need to do your research when you're looking at those treatments to see which ones have been validated by study and which ones have not. And, and when you are taking treatments from a naturopath that have not been validated by Western medicine, you must understand that you are taking things that there really is no proof that it's going to help you.
1: This particular case has a lot of repercussions for parents. It leaves parents asking questions, wondering at which point, at what point do I take my child to see a doctor? How long do I wait with flu like symptoms before I go to the ER or before I insist that my family doc see me? 416 360 0740 1866 740 4740 for parents or grandparents in our audience today. Does this case make you question your own judgment when looking after a sick child? And that brings about this question, doctor. For parents, when a child gets sick, how long is an acceptable time to wait before taking him or her for medical treatment?
2: So I don't think that there's one right answer, but I think that there's a few common sense tips that I can give here. So I'm going to say number one if at any point in time your child is no longer drinking fluids they need to be taken in for immediate assessment and so in this case one of the key points is that this child was not drinking anymore they they were actively working to get fluid into the child using eyedroppers and the child was refusing to drink so Anytime that's the case, where you cannot adequately hydrate your child, that is time when you need to be seeking medical assistance. That's not something that you can manage at home. Number two, anytime your child seems to have any difficulty breathing, that is not something that you manage at home. So, if your child seems short of breath, struggling to breathe, turning blue at any point in time, I mean, these are things that you just don't keep at home, and not just common sense. In terms of just duration of illness, what I would say is a typical cold and flu illness is always to get better within about a week. So. If at the seven-day mark you have a child that is not getting better from the illness, that's the time when it's time when you really should be bringing that child into a medical practitioner to make sure that it really is just an uncomplicated cold or flu. And especially one of the things to be aware of is that uncomplicated flus and colds can turn into pneumonia at about the one-week mark if they are going down a bad path. So. For sure, that is the time to get reassessed if things aren't getting better.
1: We're speaking with emergency room doctor Brett Belchets, and uh, doctor, I remember when my children were young, the the qualifying time for medical attention when a child had a fever has a fever would be three days. If your child has a fever for more than three days, I think that even says that on the Tylenol and the ibuprofen bottles that you should seek medical attention.
2: Well, I, I don't know that I would rush. Um you know a child to a doctor within three days of having a fever especially if the child has clear-cut symptoms that, that show why the child is having a fever so you know if you have a child with a very typical cough, runny nose and low gary temperature and you're able to manage those symptoms you know with tylenol to control the fever and if the child is eating and drinking well breathing comfortably and everything else is fine I don't know that you have to rush in within three days so you know what I say again is um, if you have a fever with no clear cause of the fever, that is an issue because you know when you don't have that cough and runny nose and all the things that make you say, Yes, I know where this is coming from, that requires investigation because then we worry about you know hidden urinary tract infections, could it be a pneumonia that is causing atypical symptoms, could it be even a meningitis, the beginning of something along those lines, or there are a number of other ominous conditions that can cause fever in children with no symptoms. So so that's something to watch out for if after two or three days you don't have a cause of the fever. But you know, at the seven day mark, as I said, if that fever is not starting to go away even with symptoms that's when you do really need to think about getting medical attention
1: and i want to ask you a question about meningitis as well first though elaine in richmond hill you have a question or comment yes i had a student i was a teacher years ago and she was about six and her parents are coming back from the grandma's she'd been a little under the weather so they took her right into the um, emergency at the emergency they said oh she's um she's just got the flu or something go home so they went home, and about 4 in the morning, the child went down a little bit, like not very well, took her back, and she died because the brain swelled. She had meningitis. The thing I'm saying is if it's diagnosed at the hospital, do they get charged? That's a good question. Doctor, can you comment on that?
2: Uh, I, I think the question that I'm hearing is does does the hospital get charged in a circumstance like that? And there there certainly is a very well-put-together process Uh, to investigate cases where the hospital or a physician misdiagnoses a patient. So for sure in that case, I would imagine that there probably would have been a coroner's investigation. There probably would have been lawsuits and repercussions both with the regulatory agencies, including the College of Physicians. So and and certainly, you know, there can be uh, criminal negligence in cases like that. So, yes, there, there are for sure repercussions when a medical professional misdiagnoses a case and certainly when a medical professional misdiagnoses a case and it results in death.
1: Now, about meningitis, babies don't receive a routine immunization for meningitis, do they?
2: Well, there there is a immunization for for one of the main causes of meningitis. So it's called the Haemophilus influenza B vaccination, which babies do routinely receive. Now, I don't know if this child in this case received that vaccination or not. Uh, but and I don't know what the causative bacterial agent was in this case, but certainly one of the reasons why we see far fewer cases of bacterial meningitis these days than even you know 15 or 20 years ago is because of this vaccine, which is a relatively new one.
1: Okay. So this uh, 20 years ago, I don't remember this being around when my kids were small. I remember the, the MMR when they're about a year or 13 months, and then they had shots at two, four, and six months, and then... Uh, every year
2: relatively new one this this, is one would not have been around probably more than about a decade ago
1: so at what point are parents of babies supposed to get the meningitis shot for their child
2: so this is one that that occurs with your regular series of vaccinations and so you know if you're going for your regular two four six and 18 month vaccinations this would just be added to that series
1: well i think most parents would see that as being great news fantastic news and, yep, yet, and yet, sure. what is it about that mentality that I want to treat my child or live in a very natural environment, and, and that medical science is a bad thing? Not, and, I, and I certainly don't want to come off as being judgmental of this couple, I mean, although it's hard not to be, because they have been found guilty in a court of law. But the, the mentality is, um, it's, it seems to be very uneducated and very backward.
2: Well, well, this is a debate that's emerging all across Western societies, this, this strange battle between Western medicine and this idea of natural care. And for some reason, and, and I really don't understand it, Western medicine has been vilified somehow as being bad for people. And a lot of people say, I'm not going to give Western medicine to my children. I'm not going to take it for myself. But somehow you will live a longer and healthier life with natural cures. And so... You know, one of the things I'm reminded of, there, there was a great cartoon that I saw once where it basically had a picture of a caveman and it said, uh, ate natural grass off the prairies, ate natural you know, meat off the prairies, everything was wholesome and organic, and then the final line was, died at age 29. <laughs> so the point is that, yes, natural is wonderful, but without Western medicine and all the things that have come from Western medicine, the average lifespan of humanity was 29 years. So, So Western medicine has had tremendous impact on the survival of our species in terms of you know, our ability to survive basic illnesses like meningitis, our ability to survive childbirth, our ability to survive many things. And so you know, I do believe that we should be conscious of things like pesticides in our foods and some of the other chemicals which we worry about their long-term causes. But really when we look at on balance, has Western medicine prolonged lives, does it make people healthier? The, the answer, no matter how you look at it, is yes. And so I don't understand really where this debate comes from, where anybody would think that by consciously saying no to treatments that we know are life-saving, that they're doing themselves or their children a favor.
1: Thank you for your time. Very informative conversation. My pleasure. Dr. Brett Belchets joins us here on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. I'm Jane Brown.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.